Hi, my name is Isabel and I'm your host for the ESG Quick Takes podcast brought to you by ESG Book. Our guest today is Tanya Steele, who leads the UK office of the WWF. It's the world's largest independent conservation organization. WWF's objective is to create a world where both nature and people thrive. In addition to its work on conserving species and their habitats, WWF focuses also increasingly on the drivers of nature's loss, including climate change, the food system, and the global financial and economic systems. So with me is Tanya. Tanya spent 15 years in the private sector, uh, and then after that, she switched to charity. While working in international developments, she saw firsthand, really, the environmental effects on people's daily lives. So she moved to the WWF to have a more direct impact on addressing those environmental challenges. So the WWF is well known as an organization, but less known for its work in the corporate and financial landscape. And notably, WWF is a part of the UK government's transition plan task force, which is developing a gold standard for climate transition plans for large companies and financial players. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to ESG Quick Takes. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you. So tell us more about this sort of you know work that the WWF is doing broadly. We know WWF as an organization. It's very well known. We know the Panda logo, of course. And you're famous for protecting nature and species around the world. But can you tell us more about that work that you're doing on sort of business change and sort of changing the corporate landscape as it comes to nature? Of course. No, of course. And and, um, there's no doubt that we're very much known for uh, protecting and and conserving some of the really iconic species. Uh, Yes, um, giant pandas, but, you know, tigers, black rhinos, gorillas. um, And that is undoubtedly the heartbeat of the organisation. But what we do know is that the natural world and um, the way it works, its ecosystems and its wildlife, we can't solve all the problems it faces through conservation efforts. I I always say when you see a big problem downstream, you're downstream on a river, you need to get up and walk right the way up to the source and try and understand what the challenges are. And unquestionably, often people imagine that the decline of the natural world is sometimes being driven by uh, terrible issues like poaching, but actually is primarily being driven by what we call systemic issues, climate change, of course, but also the food system, uh, the way in which we use land and we convert land, uh, and indeed how finance flows to support it. So addressing these is actually at the centre of WWF strategy so that we have any hope of really ensuring that we have a healthy and a well-functioning planet and natural world for for people and and wildlife alike. So as a result, we've spent a lot of time over many years both working Uh, across businesses, uh, across the whole private sector, um, and then increasingly also with financial organisations. So that's been very much a priority for us. Interesting. And you you mentioned climate change and sort of systemic change uh, rather than just poaching as as a key threat. Um, Could you expand on the work that you were doing with the transition planning across the UK because as, as a quick background for, for listeners, by the end of 2023, the UK Transition Plan Task Force will set mandatory standards for listed companies and financial organizations to ensure comparable transition plans. And also sort of in your work, you have been actively participating in this effort. 
Could you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, very much so. I mean, this work really um, started in in, uh, earnest following the then UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak's announcement uh, at uh, COP26 to make uh, the UK the world's first net zero aligned financial centre. And I think it's fair to say that WWF and others have been quite instrumental in some of that policy work and thinking uh, initially behind the scenes because we knew that kind of shift was needed. But I guess I'd probably make a few comments. I mean, first and foremost, the commitment on transition plans is a really, really significant one. Uh, So the UK government will require all listed companies and financial institutions to publish their plans from this year on how uh, their value chains will decarbonise in line with the UK's target to reach net zero by 2050. So we're, we're, you know, fully behind the drive. Um, Climate is, is, is one of the greatest threats facing us. But ultimately, um, nature and uh, climate are two sides of the same coin. We cannot, there is no viable climate trajectory that does not take into account the role of nature. And nature locks up so much carbon, it enables us uh, in our fight against climate change. So whilst many may approach or, you know, many of us may think when we're thinking about transition plans, imagining the immediate carbon impacts, actually, when you start to dig a little further, you will inevitably see that nature is a really major contributor to that. So hence, one of the reasons why we're saying that nature does need to be part of the transition plans and some of that thinking um, as uh, businesses start to work through and look at how are they going to manage their transition? What does that mean to carbon? But actually, what does that mean in terms of their value chains, where in many cases they will find nature impacts uh, as well? And just to put this in, in quickly in perspective, we've talked a lot rightly about the energy transition needed for us to tackle climate change. And, and that's underway. That's good news. It is underway. But the loss of nature uh, contributes at least 23% of global emissions. So this is a really huge contributor and we know it's also critical in terms of you know, a healthy and functioning planet as well. Interesting, and could you give a few examples of where companies can step up their game and indeed perhaps integrating nature into their net zero planning or generally their transition plans? Yeah, I I mean, there's a number of ways. First of all, a a number of companies are already looking at how, you know, carbon, if they're net zero, how might they become nature positive, if you like, uh, and start to look at the impacts. First and foremost, uh, preventing deforestation and converting land, land that would be naturally a carbon sink or would be drawing down carbon. That's a really important place to start. Secondly, really start to dig into those supply chains. Where's the due diligence? So uh, if agriculture is in your supply chain, paper, timber, these are certainly known as high deforestation risk commodities. And and we're seeing companies step forward to do this. Companies like Unilever, for example, have already come forward with goals for deforestation-free supply chains, particularly on what we call those high-risk commodities. Um, And then I guess there's also something in terms of considering safeguarding nature as part of those transition plans is avoiding some of those costly or indeed risky mistakes. I mean, the minerals that are being mined uh, in electric vehicle batteries can come from very high biodiversity hotspots uh, in Central Africa, for example. And so without safeguards, some of the solutions for climate change actually could start to put some of these critical areas and indeed critical from both climate change and socially as well in danger as well. So I guess the invitation is really to encourage businesses to actually just start to take a look, start to unpack 
those supply chains and those transition plans and the models that sit behind them and actually start to consider what the exposure and indeed the risks might be. Do you see that also as an imperative for investors looking at businesses, transition plans as regards to how they how businesses look at nature and preservation in their supply chain or general in their full value chain? Uh, what kind of advice can you give to investors looking to start with this? Yeah, I, I think I would, uh, as an investor, ask those questions because in the same way that um, climate exposure creates a risk, uh, to any business. Certainly exposure in terms of the nature of supply chains or the basis on which that business is reliant on a, uh, a good functioning natural environment in terms of availability of fresh water, uh, availability of high risk commodities. Actually, what does that mean for that business's A, ability to operate, but B, in terms of the impact uh, that it may be creating on local resources or indeed longer term in terms of climate risk as well. But, but there are actually a lot of models and frameworks that can help businesses to start this journey and then indeed investors to ask whether or not those businesses are working through these models. I mean, there's a beta framework available now, uh, thanks to the work of the Task Force of Nature Related Financial Disclosures, which can already be used by companies to start to assess their dependencies on nature. Uh, similarly, the Science-Based Targets Initiative has a, a methodology to help set targets specifically on emissions risks uh, from the forest, land and agricultural sector too. So those frameworks exist. Um, but I very much would encourage investors to ask those questions and understand those exposures. And relating to that, uh, sort of looking at the importance of nature in, in, in transition plans and generally our, our future on sustainable investing, you've published a ton about this. Can you walk us through some of the thinking around being becoming nature positive from let's say laying the foundations to target setting what you just alluded to the SPTI and and sort of more the task force for nature based disclosure to the governance that will like ongoingly make sure that companies are not just only setting targets but also actually incorporated this in their full business operations I think um, it starts unquestionably with, with, with targets. What's the goal and what's the outcome that the business is going to look to achieve? And, and um, you know, we've heard many times what, what doesn't get um, measured. You know, we, we know it will not happen. So what's the aspiration that sits in and around that? Then I think it's a question around with that declaration in mind, how to actually go about measuring and understanding you know block by block what those exposures are if i give an example i mean we saw many many businesses and organizations i mean the, the scales dropped from their eyes through the pandemic when they realized how exposed they were in terms of the fragility of those supply chains now that was based on you know an extraordinary global event but to be honest many of those extraordinary global events may yet come when we think about the impacts that we're seeing on ecosystems whether this is major droughts whether this is in terms of um, availability of minerals you know there's a whole range of factors here so i think to actually start to understand that exposure and then apply those mechanisms um, to assess the risk that's when some of the solutions and indeed the steps start to come to light as well Interesting. And to close us off, could you give us an example of a project or perhaps a sector in which you see not just the preservation of nature, but perhaps even reforestation happening or something that actually kind of has a positive effect on nature? There's always po that is always, always positive. We need it. 
<laughs> we do need it. We do need it. But it, it's first, I, I'm going to say three quick things. If you give nature a chance, if we take our foot off the throat of nature, it will recover. It regenerates very naturally. So give nature a chance and regeneration happens. I think further afield, you know, if we think about um, examples across the world, if I think about the way in which we brought back um, numbers of gorillas in Virunga Great Park um, through to tiger recovery in an incredibly you know, industrialized nation like India, if there is the way and if it actually comes from um, both from a government perspective, but also in terms of how communities can support and be part of it, it is fundamentally achievable. I mean, to see um, some of that, that wildlife flourishing, um, we can, it, it's a proxy measure for how healthy that natural environment is, which of course benefits everyone as well. But even closer to home, I mean, the UK is one of the most nature depleted countries on the planet. Um, I know at the moment we're promoting a, a TV series, Wild Isles, with David Attenborough very much at the heart of it. Um, but what we've seen is actually there are pockets of recovery. For the first time in 400 years, beavers are returning to the UK. So give nature a chance and for everyone to play their part and, and, and effectively in that chain right the way from an investor, right at source, through down to businesses and then communities too, I think it's got a chance for sure. And I think this is purposeful work for investors to scrutinise ask some of the tough questions. It keeps the business and the economy healthy, but actually hopefully we'll keep nature and ecosystems healthy too. That's a great message. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll put uh, the materials of your organization in the show notes if people want to learn more about the WWF. Thanks again for joining us and until uh, the next time. <laughs>